How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. The the angel Gabriel telling the story of the angel visiting a young maiden, Mary, a virgin, and through the word that is delivered there, the word of God, she conceives the Savior of the world in her womb. We call her the Blessed Virgin Mary. Some call her the Queen of Heaven. Some would think of her as a co-mediator or a co-redeemer with her Savior Son, Jesus Christ? Should she be called something like the mother of God? The church remembers Mary, the mother of our Lord, on August 15th. We'll be doing the same thing here with Pastor Paul McCain. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. First hour, we're going to be talking about Mary, the mother of our Lord. We'll be talking about a right way of understanding her, those segments of Christianity that say too much about her and those that perhaps say too little about her. Then we're going to be talking with David French, a constitutional law attorney, about a New York Times story titled How a Supreme Court Shaped by Trump Could Restrict Access to Abortion. There are several paths that could be taken by the Supreme Court. We'll talk about those with David French. Then Pastor Jonathan Fisk joins us to rejoin our series on the book of Proverbs, we'll talk about fallen reason, natural wisdom, and revealed wisdom. He's author of the books, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible, and his latest is called Echo, Unbroken Truth, Worth Repeating Again. That'll be an hour two of Issues Etc. Joining us to remember Mary, the mother of our Lord, on this 15th day of August Pastor Paul McCain, publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis and general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. Paul, welcome back. Todd, good to be with you today. So if we were to read Luther and Philip Melanchthon and Martin Chemnitz, the 16th century reformers, how important was the Virgin Mary to them? Well, it's rather remarkable that in spite of their very, very clear rejection of all the horrible excesses of the Roman Catholic Church when it came to Mary, they still very much retain a a deep devotion to Mary, a great love for her as a mother of our Lord, and they speak of her in very high terms, and always, always using Mary when they talk about her to point people to Jesus Christ, and that's the point. So let's talk about the scriptural material itself, so that in order to 
kind of sort the wheat from the chaff, and there's wheat and chaff on both sides mm-hmm. of the issue of the Virgin Mary. We, we're going to deal with those who say too much. That is generally the Roman Catholic, perhaps even the Eastern traditions there. We're going to talk about those who say too little or, or are hesitant to say what Scripture says about Mary, and that would probably be American evangelicalism and big swaths of Protestantism as well. How do we, based upon the biblical material that we have, how do we steer the proper course in understanding who she is, what role she plays in the scriptural narrative of salvation, and how we ought to regard her today? It's remarkable to notice that the uh, scriptures refer to Mary, particularly in the New Testament. She's named by name almost more often than just about any other person other than Jesus. She is present at all of Christ's major points in his life and ministry, but the reference to Mary, to her role as the mother of God, the mother of our Lord, uh, begins in Genesis 3.15 with the very first promise, the very first gospel promise states, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there, right away, is a very clear assertion that the one who comes from a woman will be responsible for crushing Satan. And of course, that's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, who died for us. Isaiah 7.14 prophesies Jesus' virgin birth by saying, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. And the Hebrew word there for virgin, Alma, was always very consistently understood, interestingly, before the time of Christ, even by the Jews themselves, to refer to a woman who would conceive miraculously without their normal relationship with a man. That's a very important point. But then, uh, I'm just going to run through these things. In Luke chapter 1, right away, the angel telling her she's going to be the mother of our Lord basically gives the very first greeting to Mary. And this greeting has been used ever since uh, by Roman Catholics to form the prayer, the Hail Mary, uh, which is simply repeating most of these words. And then you go on, she's there at the wedding of Cana. Jesus does his first miracle. Mary says, pay attention to what he tells you. We've used that ever since to make the point. That's Mary's greatest message to us, is listen to her son, Jesus Christ. She's there with the wise men, of course, the birth of Christ, obviously. We read a lot about that. I mentioned the first miracle. She features in the presentation of Jesus in the temple, There's an incident recorded in Matthew 12, while it mentions, Behold, his mother and brother stood outside speaking to him. In Luke 2, Simeon speaks to Mary and prophesies that her heart will be pierced with suffering as she sees what her son goes through. He just keeps going on and on. And then a very fascinating thing happens in John's Gospel at the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus Christ goes out of his way to provide for his mother. And this is a beautiful account that as he is there dying, he says to John, behold your mother, and to his mother, behold your son. And church tradition, which I happen to believe, is that John, of course, did take her into his household, and tradition has it that she died in Ephesus. And she was present on the day of Pentecost. She was there in the room when it was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that point is mentioned. She's there with the apostles. And St. Paul obliquely refers to her in Galatians 4, four, when he writes that when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. 
And in Revelation 11, there's this fantastic language about this woman clothed with a son giving birth to a child. These are obvious references to the virgin birth of Christ from the Virgin Mary, and she's mentioned, let's see, one, two, three, at least three times in Revelation. So she figures prominently throughout the New Testament, and this just attests to the fact, you know, that this was a historical event, that Christ was born of this Virgin Mary, and she is always held in high esteem and regard by Jesus' apostles, and has been ever since by all Christians. We all call her blessed. So the blessed is something that is the language of the Lutheran Confessions. They will refer to her as the Blessed Virgin Mary. That language should not be shied away from, I take it from what you've just said, simply because that's how we are instructed to think of her, from divine revelation, from the angel himself. Yes, a blessed art thou among women. That's what the angel said to her. And the traditional Hail Mary is, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Well, we don't want to pray to Mary like that. That was not the intention of those words. But that's the first part of the great Hail Mary, which is such a prominent feature in Roman Catholic piety. Where that prayer really goes off the rails is the rest of the prayer. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Now, the reason I know that is because I went to Catholic high school and every day began with the Hail Mary. So I heard it. I didn't pray it, of course. I heard it prayed every single day for four solid years. It kind of gets ingrained in your head. So the fact is, she is blessed. She, This particular woman was singled out by God to be the one who would bear our Savior, to be the mother of our Lord. And that should naturally lead us to love her. If her son loved her as much as he did, surely we, who love her son, will also love his mother, in a proper sense. How do we deal with that term, mother of God, or the term that was of dispute in the early church from time to time, God-bearer, the one who gives birth to God? Yes, this became a controversial issue as a result of the controversy that arose over the two natures in Christ. Did Jesus just kind of pretend to assume a human nature? Was there a point at which he was actually created by God himself? All these controversies caused much discussion about the human nature of Christ. So the confession of the Church, as we've had it since the time of the early Church, particularly since the uh, Council of Ephesus in 431 really nailed these issues down, made it very clear that to refer to Mary as the Mother of God is appropriate because the human nature of Christ and the divine person of the Son of God became one person, one person, two natures in Christ, and that person is God, the Son of God, and his human nature is not divided from the person of the Son, and so it is appropriate in that way, in that sense, understood correctly, and I'm not just throwing those little caveats out as, as empty asides, I mean that understood correctly, Mary is properly known as the God-bearer, the Theotokos in Greek, or the Mater Dei, Mother of God in Latin, or as we have it in English, the Mother of God. And that is, to put a fine point on it, intended to extol the divinity of Christ and not to say anything of Mary herself, not to add anything to Mary's humanity. That's what's so important, and that's what, uh, again, in spite of their upbringing, well, particularly Luther, his upbringing as a Roman Catholic, who is, of course, devoted to Mary in all the wrong ways, as he clearly concedes and admits and, and decries later in his life. In spite of all that, Luther did not shy away from proper understandings of who Mary is, what role she plays in our quote-unquote salvation history. She plays a very prominent role. She is 
the chosen vessel by which God delivered to the world his Son to be its Savior, the means by which the human nature of Christ was formed, the human nature taken on fully by the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. So we can't simply say, oh, well, it could have been anybody. Well, yes, but (laughs) there was a real person named Mary, this young woman from the town of Nazareth. And so, again, as the angel said, we should heed those words, blessed are you among women. Of all the women that could have been chosen, Mary was the one chosen. Now, that's not to say too much about her, but also not to say too little about her. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. We're talking about Mary, the mother of our Lord, on this 15th of August. When we come back, what can we and should we say about her virginity? Stay tuned. If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speakers' presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Lord Jesus Christ may have ascended, but you can find him at Lutheran Church of the Ascension in Atlanta, where he is ever-present in his word and sacraments. Join us for the divine service on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Bible study at 9 a.m. Ascension is a distinctively confessional Lutheran church located in the Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us on the web at ascension-lcms.com. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're remembering Mary, the mother of our Lord, with Pastor Paul McCain on this 15th of August. He is publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis. CPH is the publisher of our book of the month for August, Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, the 2017 Visual Edition. It's laid out a little different than your ordinary Luther's Small Catechism because it is being presented in a visual format. It has charts and graphs, and they call them infographics, a way of helping not only to understand, but to teach the truths that are found in Luther's small catechism. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. Click any page of the website or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Paul, let's talk about her virginity. What can we say and what can't we say? about that facet of the Virgin Mary? Well, the most important thing when we confess in the Creed, a born of the Virgin Mary, is the confession that she was conceived apart from, you know, the normal course of things with a man. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and she conceived miraculously. The Son of God took on his human flesh through the normal process of a human pregnancy in her womb, specifically, and he was therefore born of a virgin named Mary. Now, almost from the very earliest days of the church, there arose the belief, and we always call it a pious opinion. Some would refer to it as a pious speculation. Others get all upset about it and call it a ridiculous speculation, that Mary remained for the rest of her life a virgin. The Latin phrase for that belief is semper virgo. It is clearly a belief held by the vast majority of all the Church Fathers, all the medieval Roman Catholics, and all Lutherans up to and including our own Dr. C.F.W. Walther and Francis Pieper, it's an opinion that I, that I hold to personally. However, never, ever, ever can it be established as a dogmatic assertion, and I've seen people go completely off the rails when it comes to the whole point of Mary and Jesus and the Gospel by arguing over whether or not Mary remained always virgin. It gets to a point where I just want to say, I no longer am interested in talking about the sex life of the mother of our Lord. Would you please stop? <laughs> well, and, and then again, it, I think it's an example of how sometimes well-meaning piety with reference to Mary strays from that rule, so to speak, that what we say of Mary ought to always be in service of confessing Christ. Right. You can get so drawn into these debates, and, and I, you and I are quite aware of them on the Internet. They can rage among Lutherans. And uh, Francis Pieper, I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but I think I've got it pretty pretty correct. He, he had this uh, interesting way of putting it. If in all other respects a theologian is orthodox in his Christology, but denies the Semper Virgo, he should not be considered a heretic. <laughs> So that's a begrudging way of putting it, but uh, and that that's the position today. Now, today in our circles, I would say that the opinion that Mary remained ever virgin is somewhat in the minority. And I I always want to yeah I kind of think that I'm kind of breaking my own rule here, talking about it so much. But the point is, it's inconceivable in our sex saturated culture to most everybody that a person could remain for their whole life a virgin. That's just an interesting aside. So, let's talk about saying too much and the saying too little. Let's start with the saying too much, because there's a lot to be said there. At the time of the 16th century Reformation, what 
was being taught about the Virgin Mary, which the Reformers had to both, in some cases, affirm, and in other cases, deny? Well, honestly, what was taught then is what has been taught ever since, and even, frankly, even to a greater extent by the Roman Church, the cult of Mary, as it's called, and that's really what it is. Herman Sosley just flatly says it is a cult. It is paganism inside the Church, the extent to which Mary is worshipped, adored, and venerated. So the Church went far beyond anything the Scriptures would allow and developed this enormous structure for venerating, praying to, adoring, setting up shrines. Since then, there have been these alleged appearances of Mary, and you have all these special shrines, Our Lady of this, Our Lady of that. If you, uh, At the time of Luther, even in his hometown, every significant village or city or town throughout Europe had a church named after Mary. In Wittenberg, St. Mary's Church was the main preaching church of Martin Luther. Notre Dame Cathedral, that's French for Our Lady. All, every, everybody had a St. Mary's Church. It was just Mary was everywhere. Mary was on the altar. Mary was in art. Now, granted, I don't believe Mary was ever usually depicted in any art without holding Christ in her arms, which is, which is a very significant thing. But the point is, people were led to put their trust and confidence and hope that God would hear them and have mercy on them because of Mary's intercessions for them, rather than looking to Christ and Christ alone as a mediator. And we simply put, we do not pray to the saints who are in heaven, and that includes the mother of our Lord Mary. We do not pray to her. So at the time, we can say the cult of Mary was in full swing. It was woven into the fabric of the other abuses associated with the church. It was commonplace to pray and seek her intercession along with the other saints. Was she, and this is more common in the 21st century, was she considered to be not simply a means by which God brought salvation into the world, but as kind of a co-participator in the acts of salvation of her son? Yeah, you're referring to this uh, doctrine called co-mediatrix or co-redemptrix, which is even more outrageous, co-redeemer. John Paul II is said and reported by people who were very close to him, was on the verge of making an infallible declaration that Mary should be spoken of and referred to as a co-redemptrix. He was finally apparently persuaded away from that, I believe, by Cardinal Ratzinger, who was his chief theologian, because Ratzinger knew his theology well enough to know that that would be just a bridge too far. But that opinion about Mary has its roots deeply embedded into the, in the medieval church. Todd, would you mind if I mentioned the things Luther said, which I think really clarify how he distanced himself from the Catholic inappropriate veneration for Mary and, and helped us understand her in a, in a better way? Absolutely. In 1522, Luther was preaching on the feast day of Our Lady's Nativity. Now, that that's not a feast day we observe, but they set aside an observance for not the birth of Christ, but the birth of Mary. So this is a sermon in his church postals, and he says that, quote, we owe honor to Mary, but we must take great care that we honor her correctly. We have gone too far in honoring her and esteeming her more highly than we should. In the first place, we have thereby disparaged Christ the Redeemer and, this is a quote, by the profound honor paid to the Mother of God, derogated from the honor and knowledge of Christ. Secondly, the honor due to our fellow men and the love of the poor has been forgotten. 
if it is a question of honoring anyone on account of his holiness, quote, then we are just as holy as Mary and the other saints, however great, provided we believe in Christ. And then he says, she has a greater grace, a higher dignity as a mother of God, but, quote, this is not due to any merit of hers, but simply because we cannot all be the mother of God. Otherwise, she is on the same level as us. There was a common anthem, and it's still sung today, Hail Mary, Salve Regina, which is sung throughout the world to the ringing of great bells. It's a great blasphemy against God, he says. The Queen of Heaven was another popular prayer and and hymn sung. Uh, The Regina Kiley, Latin's a little rusty. Luther rejected calling her Queen of Heaven. So you can see why he's going back and forth. But finally he says this, to seek to make of Mary an idol. That we cannot and may not do. We will not have her as a mediator, but as an advocate to this, Luther always clung, we will gladly accept her. Now, like the other saints, okay? You see what Luther did there? Not in any special sense, but, you know, we do believe that the saints are, in a general sense, still praying for us before the throne of God. Luther goes on. But people have put her above all the choirs of angels. So he is rejecting these abuses, and he really puts his finger right on the problem. When Mary obscures Jesus Christ, Mary herself would be the first to be outraged. What did he say to those servants in the city of Cana? Whatever he says, do it. That's her message to us to this day. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. We are remembering Mary, the mother of our Lord, on this Wednesday, August the 15th. He's general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, when we come back. Today, in Roman Catholicism, does the average Roman Catholic still pray to the Virgin Mary? The Church's Music from the 20th Century The 17th Century The 11th century. The 8th century. The 4th century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040. Or find out more about the Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. 
If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ the King Lutheran, Billings, Montana. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Boise, Idaho. Hope Lutheran, West Jordan, Utah. Logos Lutheran, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our Savior Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Redeemer Lutheran, Gresham, Oregon. St. John Lutheran, Fredonia, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Indianapolis, Indiana. Trinity Lutheran, Lebanon, Missouri. And Zion Lutheran, Imperial, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Supper hymn penned by the reformer Martin Luther, O Lord, we praise Thee. We're remembering Mary, the mother of our Lord, on this 15th of August. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. Paul, today, given as much as the Marian devotion was promoted by previous popes, the average Roman Catholic, do they still pray to Mary? Oh, yes. She is still the thing. Doing a little research here. Just to give you an idea of how extensive this is, and any of our listeners who are former Roman Catholics or who are familiar with this because of friends or relatives will will, uh, understand all this and recognize it. But there are, I counted up, there are 12 mandatory feasts during the church year to the Virgin Mary or festivals. There are six optional festivals. During the entire month of May, devotions to the Blessed Virgin take place in many Catholic regions around the world. They say the rosary, which itself is a Marian practice, a Marian devotion, all kinds of Hail Marys in that. Traditionally, the month of October itself is called Rosary Month because uh, Pope Benedict XVI had really been big on the rosary. This is a quote. The month of October is dedicated to the Holy Rosary, the unique contemplative prayer through which, guided by the Lord's Heavenly Mother, we fix our gaze on the face of the Redeemer. Now, that's, that's good to be fixed on the face of the Redeemer. It's just he, all these shrines. There's shrines here in the area, you know, right across in your area, Todd. I think there's a major Marian shrine, isn't there? The uh, Our Lady of the Snows. Yeah. So, you know, it's Our Lady of Everything. 
in the Blues Brothers, they refer to Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, it's so pervasive in Roman Catholic piety. Uh, they say the Angelus several times during the day, which is a great prayer, except for the Hail Marys in it. The actual Angelus prayer is simply, Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that as we have known the incarnation of Christ, your Son, by the message of an angel, so by his passion and cross we may be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. That's a fantastic prayer, but they interject it with the Hail Mary. And it's so it's a, it's the riddle of Romanism. It's such a, a painful thing to see so much truth garbled up with such horrendous error. Is she regarded, do you think, by the average practicing Catholic? as a co-redeemer or a co-mediator? You know, I have to be honest, I've never had a conversation with Roman Catholics on that point. But I think, even though they may not articulate it in those doctrinal terms, I think that basically is the idea. On the ground in popular piety, I've been... um, editing some upcoming Portals of Prayer Devotions written by a woman who was a missionary working at a school in Guatemala. And she went out of her way to talk to native Guatemalans about Mary. And uh, she heard something that I think will make perfect sense. The lady she spoke to said, well, you know how it is when when sometimes you want to ask your father for something, but you go to your mother knowing she'll go to your father? Well, that's how it is with us and Mary. We talk to Mary, so she will go to the father for us. That's a fantastic summary of basically everything wrong with Roman Catholic devotion to Mary. So let's talk about that sector of Christianity that either through timidity or through error say too little about Mary, and this would be kind of general Protestantism or American evangelicalism. First of all, why the hesitancy to confess everything Scripture says about Mary in a complete way, like Mother of God. I think the virginity is not a big issue for them, but certainly they would they would kind of choke on Mother of God. Yeah, that's been my experience with evangelical Christians or other Christians who simply aren't familiar with church history and don't understand the doctrinal formulations and the reasons uh, how and why these things came to be in the early church. But responsible evangelical theologians, even though it's not part of their tradition to refer to the Mother of God, they clearly affirm the doctrine of the ecumenical councils, which declared, you know, Christ's human and divine nature properly and all that. But the the phrase is such a loaded one for them, and it is for many Missouri Synod Lutherans. I mean, you and I have probably both experienced lifelong Lutheran laypeople kind of recoiling at the at mother of God. What are you talking about? We've never heard her described that way. But you, it just takes some explanation, and it takes teaching. But right, in general, in the evangelical church, Mary has gone missing in action. That's an overreaction. You know, I, I call that a symptom of Romophobia. There's a good concern and caution against the errors of Rome, but when it gets to the point where Lutherans start saying absolutely ridiculous things that have no basis in our own church's history, such as Lutherans don't use a crucifix, that's only what Roman Catholics do. You know, I always kind of have to control myself at that point, and I try to explain that, no, in fact, the crucifix became, for the Lutherans after the Reformation, the chief church decoration. That is able to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Similarly with Mary, while we reject all the errors of the Roman Church in regard to Mary, we cannot just set her aside, and, and, and in fact, 
the church year, the lectionary, the liturgy, if we use it, don't allow us to. If we sing Vespers, we are singing often the Magnificat, the great hymn or song of Mary that she spoke and sang when she visited her cousin Elizabeth. The Magnificat is is a huge feature of the Lutheran liturgical life. So it's kind of an overreaction to all things Roman Catholic. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. That's what I mean by the quip, Romophobia. It's just uh, don't get so paranoid about things that you perceive to be, quote-unquote, Roman Catholic, that you uh, begin to deprive yourself of your own church's very long, clearly documented, well-articulated, well-celebrated traditions. And uh, in the Lutheran Church, we do actually observe the traditional Marian festivals of the presentation. Now, listen to what they're called, though. Presentation of the Lord. Now, Mary's involved in that. Annunciation of our Lord. March 25th, May 31st, visitation of the Virgin Mary to Elizabeth. That's when we got the Magnificat. And then today, of course, Mary, Mother of our Lord. We set today aside to think and reflect on everything Mary did and uh, experienced as part of the salvation that Christ has given us. So we do observe those festivals. And if anybody today wants to observe the festival of Mary, Mother of our Lord, pull up on the Internet, a version of J.S. Bach's Magnificat, and follow along and follow the words. It is it is absolutely fantastic and beautiful. J.S. Bach wrote beautiful cantatas and motets and pieces based on these very traditional Lutheran observances of the life of Mary. So let's talk about a few practices that are kind of random practices that usually track back to Mary in one form or another. You had mentioned the Roman Catholic Rosary, There are those who say, look, we can do rosary, and we don't have to have the errors that are attached to the Marian cult in Roman Catholicism. What are your thoughts there? My thoughts are the only people that could possibly use a quote-unquote rosary are those who really just don't have any idea of its origins in, in the Dominican monastic movement and how deeply rooted it is in the errors of Rome in regard to Mary. That's why I could not do it myself. I just could not bring bring myself to do it because it's so part of the Marian cult, the, the cult of Mary. And and I use that, maybe we should talk about that a little bit at some point. We, I use that phrase very intentionally, but this is a deeply rooted error, and I, the rosary flows right out of it. I'm not, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying why I couldn't do it, and I can't imagine folks who are deeply familiar with the history of its use and abuse would want to do it and, and just... I just don't get it. I, why do you need beads? <laughs> On the other side, there is liberal Christianity that's quite comfortable denying the virgin birth. What is the danger, the eminent danger in that? Oh, well, yeah, yeah that's exactly. It just flip-flops back and forth, doesn't it? Denying these key points of biblical revelation, and, and what can be more essential than confessing clearly that Christ was born of a virgin, that completely destroys everything the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ. Only through, and to use a phrase that Francis Pieper, one of our great doctrinal theologians, likes to use, only through an incredible, and I would even put it miraculous, felicitous inconsistency can a person who denies a virgin birth be a Christian. That's the nicest way I can put it. 
it's beyond comprehension anybody would want to deny the virgin birth, but it's part and parcel of liberal theology, which tears the whole Bible apart, tries to find what's true from what's not true, and tries to, you know, ascribe who wrote what and when and why and what are the reasons, and the community did this, the community did that. But instead, these words are given to us as they were recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're infallible, they're inerrant, and we confess them. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest remembering Mary, the mother of our Lord. When we come back, the Lutheran Confessions recommend that we give thanks for the saints, that we see them as examples of God's mercy and of faithfulness. We'll do that with Mary after this. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports and fishing. This log cabin style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.
stanza four of the hymn Alleluia, Sing to Jesus. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're remembering Mary, the mother of our Lord, on this Wednesday afternoon. Pastor Paul McCain is our guest. He's publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis and general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. Paul, those Lutheran Confessions give us three reasons for remembering the saints. The first is to give thanks for them and their lives. Second, to see them as an example of God's mercy. And the third, as an example of faithfulness. Talk about that with respect to Mary. Yeah, it's a remarkable thing. When you, when you really think about what happened to Mary, it's unbelievable. What, you know, in that culture at that time, it was, it was just the most horrendous thing that could happen to a woman if she would have premarital sex. You know, let's be real blunt about it. And unfortunately, even worse for the woman than, than for the man involved. And so for Mary, who was engaged at the time, and in those days, betrothal was a much bigger deal than it is today. It was tantamount to marriage. For Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, to go to Joseph and say, I am with child, well, we could do a whole show on Joseph, too, for that matter, how, how he reacted and responded very, very faithfully with the Lord's help. But I mean, this incredible responsibility on this very young woman, in those days women of probably 14, 15, and 16 were, were married and were very early having children because, of course, the life expectancy in those days was, you know, 40, 45 if, if you were particularly blessed. So Mary bore all this very humbly, very obediently, let it be to me as you have said. That's, a, that's an example to us for how we should hear God's word. You said it, Lord, I will humbly accept it. Todd, I think I can't say it any better than Martin Luther. And uh, this is, would you mind if I read his writing that's shared today in the Treasury of Daily Prayer? Yes. Luther writes, Mary confesses that the foremost work God did for her was that he regarded her, which is indeed the greatest of his works, on which all the rest depend and from which they all derive. For where it happens that God turns his face toward one to regard him, there is nothing but grace and salvation, and all gifts and works must follow. Thus we read in Genesis 4 that he had regard for Abel and so forth. Mary herself regards this as the chief thing. She indicates by saying, Behold, since he has regarded me, all generations will call me blessed. Note, she does not say men will speak all manner of her virtues, her virginity, or her humility, or sing of what she has done, but for this one thing alone, that God regarded her, men will call her blessed. And, you know, Luther just goes on to emphasize that this is the true gift and blessing of thinking of Mary. We are reminded of the grace of God, which he pours out into our lives through her son, Jesus Christ. That's why I said in art depicting Mary, she's always holding the baby Jesus. And perhaps the best way of illustrating the error with Mary is people spend way too much time looking at paintings of Mary holding Jesus and spend way too much time looking at Mary and not enough time contemplating the baby she's holding in her arms and what that baby did for them. So that, that kind of brings us to a question about Mary that may be in some places kind of current, and that is, how should she be depicted by the church? And whether or not we could go so far as to, there are some Lutheran churches that have statues of Mary in there, along with statues of, say, Christ himself or of the apostles. What would you offer by way of pastoral guidance there? Well, first of all, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, we know at the time of Luther and the Reformation, 
these images, these statues were not destroyed. However, through the preaching of the Word, through the proclamation of the Gospel, through proper teaching about Mary, the emphasis on Mary in church architecture and art receded. The altars that the Lutherans were responsible for building and constructing, where they inherited a Roman Catholic altar, they kept it. And most Roman Catholic altars feature Mary prominently. I mean, very prominently, with all the other saints and bishops and so on and so forth. But where Lutherans had a chance to build their own altars, and these can be incredible, there's incredible examples, they focused on the life of Jesus Christ. You may see Mary on the altar, but at the top of the altar is Jesus Christ, usually as the uh, risen Lord, victorious over sin, death, and the devil. So through gentle teaching, through the force of what is emphasized, the extreme focus on Mary receded. Now, if a church wants to have a statue of Mary today in the United States at the Missouri Synod Congregation, I think they would, find, they would have a pretty tough time of, of doing that. Where a statue might have been inherited, that's okay. I mean, it, it, it should be understood correctly. But put it this way, Todd, we've got Lutheran churches today so confused about their own history when it comes to Jesus Christ depicted as being on a crucifix or even having a statue of Jesus on the altar, the thought that somehow they could get a statue of Mary up there probably uh, beyond the realm of possibility. So, again, it's all a matter of balance. But in and of itself, there is no sin in depicting, for instance, the Pieta, the beautiful uh, sculpture that Michelangelo did, which is on display in the Vatican, showing Mary holding the dead Christ. That's a that's a beautiful statue juxtaposed to the young Mary holding the infant Christ. A very powerful thing. But I think, on a practical terms, unless you want to disagree with me, I doubt many Lutheran congregations today in America could get away with trying to put up a freestanding statue of Mary. Except when it's Christmas time and they put the creche out on the lawn, then they have <laughs> statues. Everybody, even the evangelicals, have statues of Mary. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a little fun. We have to be careful, but it's a little fun to poke some fun at the very congregations that recoil at the thought of a crucifix on the altar have no problem putting cute little baby Jesus up there, which reminds me of a movie where the, one of the main characters loves to pray to the cute baby Jesus. Cute baby Jesus we all love. Dead, dying, crucified Jesus. That's icky. That's Roman Catholic. So if I were to put any art in a Lutheran church with Mary in it, it would be the traditional image of Mary holding the baby Jesus, or perhaps even best, the Holy Family itself, Mary Joseph and Jesus together. While we're on the issue of images, a lot of those images are difficult because Mary appears with a crown. And that harkens back to this notion of Mary as the queen of heaven or the queen mother of heaven. What are your thoughts there? No, we, we can't do that. As the Lutherans did, if they inherited artwork with all of these features, they kept it. They did not destroy it, which is amazing because the Calvinists went through in Geneva and just, I mean, just ripped everything out of their churches. The most depressing ancient cathedral to go to is the one in Geneva, which is just this rip there. You go to the great cathedral in Magdeburg, which the Lutherans basically took possession of early on, they did not remove anything in there, but they put in an incredibly beautiful pulpit with all kinds of biblical images. That is such a great visual demonstration of the fact that the Reformation was not a revolution, it was a Reformation. But I would advise against depicting Mary with a crown. That's got all kinds of, of dangers there. 
Then finally, let's talk about what uh, kind of been running through as a theme in this conversation, and that is that we cannot rightly confess Christ, who he is and what he has done, and leave Mary out of the picture. We do not want to make her co-redeemer or co-mediator, but to confess Christ is to also say something of Mary. Talk about that. Well, yes. The proper confession of Mary is to understand Mary's role and how God used Mary to bring into this world the one who would suffer and die for the salvation of the world. And it's a very humanizing element, I I think, in the proclamation of the gospel, that there was this actual real woman who witnessed all these things, and she experienced, as as was prophesied by Simeon, such sharp emotional pain. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be standing there right at the cross watching her son be tortured to death in this most horrendous form of capital punishment, crucifixion? And how beautiful to think that at that very moment, when he is dying and suffering for the sins of the world, he paused for a moment to care for his mother, therefore providing us an example of how precious our parents are to us and, and God's economy of salvation and how he gives us all kinds of great gifts through our, through our families and parents. So there's a beautiful way of devotionally meditating on the experiences of Mary herself, a beautiful way, a right way that always leads us back to Jesus Christ, her son. I guess that has one more thing to add that we haven't mentioned yet, and that without a doubt, Mary herself is the eyewitness source to much of what is in, if tradition is to be understood rightly, Luke's gospel and John's gospel. She was there and much of those, many of those accounts are hers. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Well, there is no doubt whatsoever. Luke explains to this kind of quasi-anonymous figure, Theophilus, which means lover of God, that he always says, oh, dear Theophilus. It may or may not have been a real person, but it could have been like every man. He goes into these great details about the birth of Christ and the events in Christ's very early life. Who do you think he learned all that from? Mary. Mary was his source for all that. It said she treasured all these things up in her heart. And there again, there's another great example for us. That's how we should deal with the holy things of God and the events of Christ's life and all these wonderful blessings we have through the forgiveness of sins through Christ. We treasure them up in our heart, just as Mary did in her heart. And because of all that, she was able to provide this eyewitness testimony, as it were, to these great events in the life of Jesus Christ. Pastor Paul McCain is publisher and executive director of editorial for Concordia Publishing House based in St. Louis. He's general editor of Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. Paul, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Todd. God bless. Lutheran Education Association is the Lutheran Federal Credit Union Ministry of the Month. During the month of August, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or if you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to the Lutheran Education Association. Lutheran Federal Credit Union, good for you and good for the church. LutheranFCU.org. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., David French is going to join us. He's a constitutional law attorney and senior writer for National Review. We're going to talk about a New York Times story titled How a Supreme Court Shaped by Trump Could Restrict Access to Abortion. And then... Pastor Jonathan Fisk joins us for part two of our series on the book of Proverbs today, Fallen Reason, 
Natural Wisdom, and Revealed Wisdom. Stay tuned for Hour 2. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org.